People had a desire to see God's word communicated throughout our city to people who were far from God and given them the opportunity to be led into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. That group made significant sacrifices so that we have the place to worship today and grow and reach our city. Hi, my name is Carlos Cuellar. I was born and raised here in Laredo. Uh, grew up, of course, Roman Catholic. And uh, when it came time to going to the university, I went to the University of Texas with my friend Tony Ramos. Within two weeks, Tony was a believer and he started arguing with me. And uh, about two years later, I became a believer as well. We, after an absence from Laredo, we both came back uh, to Laredo, uh, tried several uh, other churches, <clears throat> but couldn't find the kind of verse-by-verse uh, -verse Bible teaching that we had been used to. And so we really desired a place. Uh, eventually, we, I mean, we, we were just uh, dreaming at that time, but hoping that one day there would be a Bible teaching church here in Laredo, Texas. Tony Ramos eventually came back to Laredo with his wife, my cousin B, and um, we started meeting at, uh, at uh, Jackson Funeral Home, and uh, there was about 10 of us uh, at that point. And uh, I would go in the mornings, my job was to turn on the lights, turn on the air conditioning, and uh, if there happened to be a deceased person uh, up front, I would gently and respectfully move that person to the side. And we would have our services. We started uh, meeting uh, from, from Jackson Funeral Home. We went to Nenez, uh, Nenez Sandoval's and Tomas Sandoval's uh, daycare where we met. And Bob decided uh, soon thereafter that we should go public we just trusted the Lord and went on, uh, in spite of the uh, opposition back then. Uh, we moved uh, to another building, and that was a building that was located not far from this building, uh, at the corner of uh, Springfield and, um, and Hillside. We met there for a year or two, and then uh, we moved to another building that was right next to uh, the cemetery and uh, on Meadow Street. And we, we were there for a few years, uh, not more than two or three years. And we realized at that point that these facilities were too small, uh, that we were growing and we needed to be more visible. And uh, there, was a, there was a whole city to reach. Today, more than 1,000 people call Grace their home and over 750 people attend our three services every weekend. That's an amazing figure when you consider our humble beginnings. However, that's exactly what Jesus said would be true of his kingdom, that it would start like a tiny mustard seed planted in a garden and grow to a large tree where even birds would build their nests. The city of Laredo covers over 92 square miles and is home to over 250,000 people. Most of those people don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we believe that the best way to reach our city is to plant more seeds or churches in every single zip code of our city. 
For spiritual, practical, and personal reasons, we believe planting churches in every zip code as opposed to growing one large church in one location is a much better way to reach our city and love them. Spiritually, we desire to reach every neighbor and every neighborhood of our city so that they might hear the gospel and be invited to a gospel-centered church. Practically, we believe that the closer a person is to their church body, the more engaged they'll become and the more effective they'll be at reaching their neighbors. And personally, we believe developing new leaders to pastor and lead these churches is more biblical and personal to each church body. Our new facility will provide a resource that will not only allow us to reach two to three times as many people as we currently do, but will pave the way to start a new Spanish-speaking ministry at our current facility. It will also provide a staff structure at our new site that will allow us to provide resources and training to other churches and new church plants, as well as train more pastors for future church plants. This new campus is not simply an addition to our church, it's an opportunity to multiply the impact of the gospel throughout our city. We have already accomplished the goal of acquiring the property for this facility. Now it's time for us to complete the building itself. You and I have a unique privilege of being part of this project and what God is doing in our city at this time. My family is joyfully considering how we can sacrificially give above and beyond what we already give in order to see this project come about. I'm asking our leaders to do the same thing. And now I'd like you to consider how you could joyfully make a significant, eternal, sacrificial investment into leading our city into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. I hope you will consider how you can give what you can never keep in order to gain what we can never lose. You have the opportunity to change the present and eternal life of family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, and even people you've never met in our city for years to come. Good morning, Grace. As you know, we kicked off our campaign last fall uh, and are in the process of raising money for that building. And, and I wanted to share with you some of the goals and where we're at uh, from that time. Uh, we had a $1.1 million pledged, as you can see on the th thermometer. Uh, so far, to date, we've already received $530,000 of that. So this is a two-year campaign, and we're over the halfway mark, or right at the halfway mark of what we've received already. And just to give you some perspective, that's a, a, a typical campaign, just people will say in terms of statistics, will raise a, a two-year campaign about one times your annual budget. And that's little over our annual budget there. So that's actually a good number for our church, and given where we're at, is extremely encouraging already for the numbers. Uh, as we look at, though, we're really wanting to go into our, our campaign and our whole project, very fiscally sound, so everything's paid off, this building, the new building. One of the challenges we have is that we don't want to sell this building in order to get the new one, and that would have given us a lot of those resources, because our goal, again, is not to build one large church. It's to plant multiple churches throughout our city. And so we're trusting God for a little bit more. 
uh, in that sense and hanging on to this as we go forward. So that's a, a great for us financially. It lets us know where we're at. At this point, it's been a great start. I want to show you uh, some other goals we've talked about as well, not just the financial ones, but our participation goals. So, so far, one of the things we did as leaders is we determined how many possible church families do we believe is a healthy representation of our, of our church to participate. And given a family of about four average, 240 puts us about, about the thousand, you know, eight, nine hundred number of people that come to Grace on a regular basis. So we said, okay, 240 families. We'd like to see that many of our families participating in some way. So far, just in terms of people who have contributed something from the beginning of the campaign until now, we've had 193 families participate. So that's a pretty broad participation. Those could be people who are, are regularly committed and giving monthly to someone who is given one time to the building. So that's overall participation. If you go to the next slide, you see what we have as our regularly participating families. So we have 143 who are giving on a regular basis to the campaign. And so what we want to do is, again, to do this in a healthy way, and I think to, to see God meet us in a way that's going to really blow us away and say, wow, we can do this, is we need to be willing to say as a church, we're going to step out in faith and do what we are able to do as people. Uh, this is not a salvation issue. You don't give to a campaign in order for God to save you. This is a sanctification issue. This is where we grow up as God's people and be willing to let go of some of our resources because we love our community enough to make room to reach more people in our city. And so I understand that it's different for every person. We've never been a, a church that tries to challenge everyone to give in the exact same way. We try to follow a biblical model that says we give proportional to what God's given to us. And I understand that different people are in different circumstances, but what we want to see is everyone be involved in some way. Even if you feel like you can't give a large amount, that's not what this is about. This is about breadth of participation as well as amount. God will bring people that will give amounts, maybe larger than what I can give or you can give, but I believe God wants all of us to be part of this. And so the two different ways that we've challenged people to grow in this area is either by a faith commitment to the building campaign, which you can see on these cards that are in the back for you, or a tithe commitment, uh, if you haven't taken that step, that maybe your growth step is just becoming a regular giver to the church in general. And, and I want you to understand that both of these have been hugely significant to this. Uh, if you look at our budget for next year that you'll see back there and even this year, one of the things we're doing as leaders is we're practicing paying a mortgage even now so that we can show proof to a bank as we go forward and we can prove to ourselves that we're fiscally in a healthy enough shape to do this. So just this last year, we were able to pay ourselves $120,000 that all of that is going into that building fund campaign. So it's raising that money, it's also letting us practice with a mortgage. This next year, if you look at our budget, our largest increase, we're proposing a budget of about a 4% increase. 3% of that increase is what we're paying to ourselves in that practice mortgage. So we're going from 120 to $150,000. We wanna simply pay ourselves. So the only way we're able to do that is if we meet budget, 
And the only way we meet budget if we, is if we have regular families in our church who are giving uh, on a regular basis. So as you do that, I want you to know, you may feel like, well, my contribution isn't making a difference. It really is when you become a regular giver because it's gonna allow us not only to put money towards that building, but to facilitate the building as we go forward. So I just want you to pray about this. We're going to talk about this through the month of January. Uh, this isn't a hard and fast commitment in the sense that we're going to, you know, call you and, and follow up in a way that pushes you on. This is just a way for you to sit down and say as a family, what do I feel I'm able to do? None of us know the future of our financial situations or what we might face. And if something comes up where you're unable to meet your commitment, you know, you're not gonna be ostracized for that. We understand that. This is simply to communicate to our leaders where are we at so that we as a leadership team can help create a timeline in going forward with this whole project. If we don't have any idea where we're at and how people are on board, it's really hard for us to make the decisions we need to make as a leadership team. And so I wanna challenge you, if you haven't done this yet, whether it's the tithe commitment or a commitment to just give regularly, whatever that might be for you or your family, or you're doing that already and you wanna take a step towards giving towards the building, that you use this as an opportunity to be part of a project that we believe could have great ramifications for our city in the years to come, just as Grace has for the 30 plus years that it's been around already. Today we uh, start a series in January, uh, and somewhat related to this, titled Remember. If you go to our title slide, the idea behind this series is to help us understand uh, this idea of, of being a member of a church. What does it mean to belong to a church? And, and many of you maybe haven't taken that step and you're new and you're wondering, what is this membership thing? And we've had people ask us, you know, I've become a member, but I don't know if I can afford the membership dues. Okay, there's no membership dues here, okay? Membership is more about a commitment to a body. Some of us have maybe been members for a while, but maybe we've forgotten what that commitment really entails. Kind of like in a marriage, sometimes we need to renew our vows and remember what, what was it that we committed to and can we recommit to that? So January, we want to commit a little bit to this idea of membership and what is it mean and discussing this concept and thoughts on church membership really kind of vary from some people believing it's too important and that they think if I as long as I'm a member at some church then I'm saved and, th and they think their membership is equal to their salvation that's too much and then there's the other side of it where people just think you know membership is wrong and it's extreme and I just it's just me and Jesus and as long as I've trusted Jesus I'm part of his church and it's a very much an individualized mindset that I can be part of the church just all by myself and it kind of throws away what's very clear in the Bible of a very clear tangible commitment to a local group of people called the church we want to talk about those different ideas and, and why it's important. And let me just state this right out of the chutes as we answer some of the questions. The New Testament doesn't say anything about a formal church membership. Let me say that again. We're you're saying, well, wait a minute. We're talking about a series on membership, and yet you just said that the New Testament doesn't say anything. That's exactly right. The New Testament doesn't say anything about a formal church membership. If we based our modern practice of, of membership only off what we see in the New Testament, then we would not have formal membership as we know it. 
I'm going to admit that and say that right up front. We wouldn't have it because you don't see it in the New Testament. Nor would you have uh, TVs or cell phones. We wouldn't have microphones. Uh, we wouldn't have a children's ministry here at our church. Uh, we wouldn't provide any small group child care for your small groups when you meet together. Uh, nor would you have a Bible. You couldn't bring a Bible to church today like you do today because there were no Bibles uh, like we know them in the New Testament. So the fact that New Testament membership or membership like we know it today did not exist in the New Testament is not a reason for us to not practice it because the Bible was not given simply to give us the examples, the exact examples of how we are to practice church. The Bible was given us to us to give us the principles by which we are to operate. Never was it given simply to give us the only examples of how church was to operate, but rather the practical principles by which we as a church must operate today. Do you know they didn't have air conditioning back then? I'd never, you don't read anything about it in the Bible either. So if we want to be more biblical, we're going to turn off the AC and the heat uh, as well as electricity because they didn't have that back then either. So that's where we're at today, and we want to look at that. Therefore, whether a church practices church membership as it's known today or it doesn't practice it at all really isn't the issue at all. The issue is if a church does go through this practice of membership, does that membership capture the principles and the values that we see in the Bible, and does it help a church act more like a biblical church in that process? So as we go through the next several months, those are some of the questions and things that we want to talk about. Here's some of the questions that we have in our series today. What is the purpose of church membership? That's going to be our focus today. Why? The next two weeks, we're going to answer what. What is membership? We'll touch on it a little bit today, but we're going to look at the what the next two weeks. And then the last week, we'll look at who. Who can become a member of a church. So is it in the Bible answer? Isn't everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ a member of his church? Who can become a member? And how does membership benefit me? So as we look through this series, my desire is that each one of us ultimately will become healthier members of our church. That we'll understand what this concept was that we will look at over the next few weeks in the scriptures and put some of those things together in a practical way that helps you and I each become healthier as believers, but also become healthier as a church. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, you can flip around to the passages you'll see that come up on here. I'm gonna be jumping around to some different passages here. Our message will be a little bit unique today because of the nature of it, but uh, I wanna touch on really three things as to why church membership is important. If you have a worship guide with you, you can flip it over to the back and follow along and fill these in so you can review them and look at them as well afterwards. So let's pray, and we'll jump in to our message today. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you for really just the unique opportunity we have as a church in our city at this time to take this church that you've lovingly placed here and, and brought through an incredible journey over the years uh, and, and ask, what's next? How can we continue to expand the impact that you've had in so many families' lives here today 
so that every neighbor in every neighborhood could have the opportunity to hear the gospel and be led into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. So Lord, as we talk about what it means to be part of your church or to be a member as we use the term today, I pray that you'll give us insight into your word and you'll speak to each of our hearts to help us better understand this concept and practice it in a way that honors you and honors each other. And that's this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm just gonna give you three points, three reasons why, uh, why church membership. The first one is this, church membership helps identify our local church community. Church membership helps us identify our local church community. We're going to see it in a couple passages here in a minute how the Bible talks about us as members of his body. But one of the things that's important for us to see uh, in general, if you've studied the concept of church throughout the Bible, is this. Of the 106 times that the word church is used in the New Testament, only 19 of them speak of what we call the universal church, meaning that the, all the people throughout time and throughout space who have ever trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the, what we call a universal church. And of the 100 plus times in the Bible that it, the church is spoken of, only 19 of them refer to that universal church. And sometimes people will say, well, I'm part of the universal church once I joined or become a believer, so why do I need to be engaged with a, a local community? Because the majority of the times Paul talks about the church or others, he's talking about the local church, a local expression of that universal. The other thing is, is you can't have fellowship with people who lived 500 years ago. They can't love you and you can't love them physically. You can't love people that are in a church that's up in Minnesota. I can't be the pastor, I can't be a pastor committed to a church where my family goes in Minnesota and be committed to this one here, or I can't commit to every single church in this city and say, hey, I'm gonna be there to teach you the word or to be with your family, to marry your children, to bury your uh, parents. I can't make that commitment to do that to all of them physically. And when we see it in the church, in the Bible, we realize that it's a local expression that is most talked about. And so membership helps us understand that. Here's some passages that we see in the Bible that talk about this concept in general. For as in one body, this is Romans 12, 4 and 5, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So this idea of membership or the concept of membership really comes from the Bible. The fact that the Bible or the church is often talked about as being a body and a body has different members or different parts to it and not everyone's gonna be exactly the same. But my arm can't be part of every single body in this church just as yours can't. This arm is connected and committed to this particular body. And fortunately, this head is as well. Otherwise, y'all would end up you know, looking like me. That wouldn't be pretty. So uh, understand the concept of membership is a concept that we see in the scriptures in an abstract way, and we've just taken it and make it a little bit more concrete. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Paul talks about this as well. As he says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now you 
are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So the general concept of this idea of membership really is one taken from Scripture, that we're a body, that there's many of us in this body, but all of us are members and part of this thing that's also unified in its overall purpose. So one of the key instrument or aspects that's important is saying, okay, so how do we identify who is a member? If there's no membership process, a more formal one, how would we identify who is a member of the church? Uh, would we be comfortable with anyone who's ever stepped foot inside the service here, calling them a member? Or if they just came in one time and said, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, how many of you would be comfortable if the first time someone came and said, yeah, they just told us I'm a member of the church, and we said, great, you're going to be watching our family's children next Sunday. Are you comfortable if we let someone watch your children uh, or shepherd your children just because they say they're a member? How, how many times would you want them to participate? What if a person attended church every single Sunday, but they went to a different church in our city every single Sunday? But when they came here, they wanted to be on the worship team, or they wanted to lead a small group, or they wanted to teach your children. Should we let them do that? So th these are just general questions that we ask when we say, what is it? Uh, to become a member. If they, a person comes one time a month, would we want to do that? If they, uh, they let someone lead a small group, what if they came from a church that has totally, very distinctly different beliefs than we do? Would you be comfortable putting them in a place of leadership or letting them serve in certain ways even though their church might have very distinctly different beliefs than what we have here is a church. Would you be comfortable with anyone who's ever attended Grace being able to nominate and affirm leaders of our church? As long as they've attended here once or twice or maybe a handful of times, are you comfortable with them having the same amount of say in our leadership as a person who's here regularly and has made a commitment to this body? Would you be comfortable with, say, a group of people who don't come a whole lot or, or maybe aren't really on board with things, but they happen to gather the largest group of people at a meeting, and then they affirm new leadership that's totally different than the direction the church has been going for a while, but they happen to have the largest number of people showing up at that particular meeting. Would you be comfortable with them having that kind of power to make those kinds of decisions? Those are just some questions we have to think about of why membership can be beneficial. Not that you ever have to sign a piece of paper or become a tangible member like we talk about to be saved. That's not what we're talking about with membership. We should never confuse the two. Nor should we ever confuse that you have to become a member of a local church to be part of Christ's universal church. The point of membership is simply to help us put into practice something that we see throughout the Bible, that it's an oxymoron for a Christian who's a follower of Jesus Christ to not be committed to a local body of Christ because you can't be committed to the universal church. It'd be like being committed to 10 different wives. Just, just try it. Okay, and you'll be back here saying, Chad, I'm on board with the whole membership thing, all right? So that's what we want to talk about is why membership 
is important. That's one of them is it just helps us identify our local community. Let me tell you, take you to a couple other passages that, that address this a little bit as well. 1 Corinthians 5.12, Paul was talking again to the church in Corinth, the local church. He says, for what do, have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Paul in this passage is talking about a church discipline issue or a sin issue that's going on within the church. And what he's telling the believers in that particular church is he's saying, hey, he says, I'm not telling you to totally isolate yourself from non-believers that might be sinning because then we'd never engage with them at all. He says, what I'm saying is that if there's someone within your body, in your local body, and they're acting in ways that we know as Christians are wrong, then yes, you need to judge that behavior. Not meaning being judgmental towards that person, but you judge those actions and you confront them about it and you call them back to healthy obedience in Christ. And Paul actually is talking about in this passage what Jesus talked about in Matthew 18, the church discipline process that you go to that person in private when they're sinning. If they don't listen to you, you bring a second witness to it if they still don't listen, then you would take it to the church as a body or the leadership. And if they still won't listen to that, then they're actually to be disfellowshipped. They're to be removed from the church if they continue in that sinful behavior and they won't repent of it. So the question is, how do you remove them from something that they're not really part of? Or how do you know that they're part of something? Like if a person shows up one time to our church and they walk in for the first time, and we know them as someone who's participating in some kind of sin out in our community. Should we start the church discipline process that Sunday when they show up? Do we even know that they're a believer? Do we, what do we know about them at that point? So there's an element where within our church as we go through that, we have to define who do we know uh, is part of this body, is committed to this body, and who is not yet in our gathering, just because a person shows up in this physical building, and even because a person has been part of this physical building for a number of years, that's no guarantee that a person is a believer in Jesus Christ. In every single church, there are people who still haven't made that step of faith, and so membership helps us define that and guide it a little bit. Another one is Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, Paul says, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith or the, the church. So Paul's given us some distinctions. We should, as Christians, do good to everyone, but prioritize or especially to those who are of the household of faith. One of the things that we do here, and not all of you are necessarily is engaged with this, but it's part of being a church, is we took a benevolence offering during our Christmas Eve service. And that benevolence offering, we designate to meet the tangible needs of people, first and foremost, in our church body, but sometimes that extends a little bit outside that into some organizations. But unless you're here on a regular basis, you wouldn't know that on a regular basis, people wander into our church and are asking for money. And they have every story you could imagine. I'm sure you've heard them as well. And some, they'll tell you whatever you want to hear to get money from you. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I believe I'm a Christian and the whole bit. But they've never, ever attended here. So here's my question for you in terms of a leader of a church. And as we steward those resources, would you want us as a church to give every single person, whoever walks in that door and claims to be a Christian, 
as much resources as we would a family who's been engaged in our church for a while and we know that they're a believer. Because if we didn't do that, if we didn't show discernment like the Bible tells us, then that money would be gone the first week and when our families did come, there would be nothing. Let me ask you this, do you do that as a family? Do you hand out your money to any single person on the street corner that asks for it as much as they possibly need, even to the point where you can't take care of the needs of your own physical family that God has specifically given you responsibility for? I think we all know the answer to that. So part of our membership process helps us define that. We do have a process where we will help every single person that comes into this church and asks, but we've set guidelines as to what we're willing to do with those people who are outside our body and haven't made a commitment to it and what we are doing, gonna do for those and protect for those who are inside it because the Bible tells us we need to distinguish between those two, and membership is one way in which we are able to do that. So church membership simply helps us identify who our local church is. It's not perfect, but it's a process that helps us. Here's the second thing that church membership does, is it provides clarity for our unity. Church membership provides clarity for our unity. So having clarity, uh, it helps us define our membership, helps us all be on the same page as a team or as a church. If we have that clarity, it allows us to be unified. If you ever want to break up unity, just do this in your marriage. Don't communicate any of your expectations or any of your ideas with your spouse. Try that for a week and see how unified you will be as a couple or even with your kids. So part of what membership can do is it helps bring clarity to unity. Let me read some passages that talk about uh, how important this is. Paul talks about this all over the place. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, meaning our idea is we need to think similar about core things, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This passage is all about unity in the body of Christ. So unity is something that's incredibly important for a church. Uh, next passage is 1 Corinthians 1.10. Uh, if you've ever read the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that a primary theme in the whole book of 1 Corinthians is the divisions that were going on in the church. And almost every segment of this book is Paul saying, here's another issue that you guys are dealing with. Let me teach you about what you, how you need to think on this so you can be unified. And he says this, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Membership helps us clarify that up front as a church. Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Membership is a process that helps us do that, helps us clarify around what we will or will not do, uh, core things that we'll believe, and what our general expectations will be. 
Specific details, as I've mentioned before, of how membership is practiced, aren't, they're not spelled out in the Bible at all. Therefore, we shouldn't be dogmatic about how we practice it. Instead, it should just, we should simply ask, is this a process that helps us achieve the goals that the New Testament has for us as a church. So we should always be evaluating or looking at it but because that's important. So let me give you four real uh, important things that membership, I think, does for us. And these are things we're going to explore over the next few weeks. I'm just going to highlight them today. So the first one is this. It clarifies our beliefs. It clarifies our beliefs. We could say, well, Chad, we believe in the Bible. Absolutely we do. How many of you could right now give me a nice summary, taking this book, of the core doctrines of this whole Bible? Maybe a handful. That's probably not very good for overall unity. So one thing membership does is it allows us as spiritual leaders to clarify some of the core doctrines that run through all the Bible and have been part of Orthodox Christianity for many years and say, these are the core doctrines that we are gonna agree upon as a church. And so a person very new to the church can immediately know what are those doctrines and say, okay, these are what the church believes and that membership process helps us do that. The second thing it does is it clarifies our purpose. It clarifies our purpose. Churches can get off track all the time with purpose. They forget what they're really about. They can become a social organization. They can be all about any number of things. It can be good things, but not the right things. And membership can help us keep that clear, that our primary mission, our primary uh, purpose is to make disciples, to reach the people in our city with the good news of Jesus Christ and then build them up as followers of Jesus Christ. We're not here primarily for any other things. And, and churches, especially as they grow, as we're a growing church, can get into all kinds of other activities that can be good activities, but many churches end up dying as they expand like that because they try to do this, they want to do a school, they want to do a childcare, they want to do you know all these different activities that may be good activities, but they forget the primary reason why they exist. And if we lose that, we lose the very essence of who we are. And membership can help us clarify it so that we're unified as a church body. It clarifies our expectations. It clarifies our expectations. It lets you know what you can expect from your church and it lets us know as a church what we can expect from each other. So it clarifies those expectations. And these are things we're gonna talk about in the weeks to come. And lastly, it clarifies our practices. It clarifies our practices. We call this a, a constitution. A constitution, just like for our, our nation, we can write up a simple constitution for a church that just states how we'll go about accomplishing the biblical goals that we are to achieve. How will we hire new pastors? How will we fire a pastor? How will we elect or affirm new leaders? The Bible gives principles about that, but it doesn't give us examples exactly of how to do a lot of that. So what's important is we say, hey, we're agreed upon a process by which we'll go about doing this so that we can be unified as a church and not be divided. And it becomes this person's say or this person's say or this little group say. We're gonna agree up front and say, hey, this is how we're gonna handle it. And whether you're socially connected or not socially connected, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're white or brown, 
None of those make any difference in terms of your influence. The question is, have you committed to who we are as a body? And that gives you equal influence in how we go forward. So membership helps us um, develop clarity and unity. Last thing, this church membership makes my personal commitment public. Church membership makes my personal commitment public. And you'll see this in the weeks to come. That's one of the reasons why baptism is a requirement to become a member of our church because that's kind of how you make your personal commitment public as well is through baptism. But that just says, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Membership helps us realize I'm connected within this body and I understand what this body is about and I'm unified with that. I love this metaphor I've read uh, by one church leader, he said, church membership is kind of like a sports team. He said this, to help you understand church membership, I want to use a simple sports metaphor. At a sports event, there are fans, players, and coaches. The church is much the same. Church membership helps distinguish between fans and players. The main difference between a fan and a player can be summed up in one word, commitment. A fan may or may not show up at a game. A fan may or may not speak well of his team, depending on how well he perceives the team is doing. A fan doesn't need to do anything to prepare for the game. A fan contributes very little, if anything, to the outcome of the game. A fan is simply present for his or her own personal enjoyment and benefit. As a result, fans get less satisfaction from the team's victory than the players. However, a player is invested in the game. A player has made and signed a commitment to be part of the team. A player can be expected to contribute, and a player prepares for the game. And a player is committed to support his team through good times and bad. And a player is willing to endure personal pain for the betterment of his team. See, membership is not a promise of perfection. It's not a commitment that we say either you keep this commitment or you're toast. That's not what membership is. Membership is simply an agreement to unity and accountability with one local, tangible group of people. Kind of like your own family. We're committed to one another even though we're not perfect. And we're gonna walk through life with each other. You can count on us to be there for you and with you. See, a commitment to your church will help you become more Christ-like. It's counter-cultural to be committed. Everything in our day and age is non-commitment now. Your cell phone has no commitment contracts. Your gym membership, you can cancel at any time you want. We have no-fault divorces. Everywhere you go, commitment is going out the window because people don't want to be committed. But let me ask you this breathe your last breath and when people speak about you at your funeral, how many of you want people to stand up and say, man, Chad was one of the most uncommitted guys I ever knew. He, I was, he was so good at not being committed. You could count on him to never be anywhere he said he was going to be and never do anything that he said he was going to do. I don't believe any one of you want those words spoken about for you. And I believe nothing will impact your life more than a commitment to your local church. A far from perfect church, 
you will get hurt in this church, I guarantee you. You will be let down in this church, I guarantee you. But you will also be transformed in this church, I guarantee you. Every single one of us has experienced all those things. Your gym, you might look a lot better after a commitment to your gym, but you're not keeping this body for all of eternity. You will look better for all of eternity if you will commit to your church. So I just want to encourage you as we begin this year to think a little different about your church. You see, Jesus, when he came to earth, there's a, a, a verse in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when is a transitional point in the ministry of Jesus. And the scripture says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. It's a turning point of the whole book, the Gospel of Luke. Many times Jesus was avoiding Jerusalem because he knew that those were the leaders that were going to nail him to the cross. But when his ministry and everything else he needed to accomplish was finished, it says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Nothing could stop him. Even his apostles saying, don't go. No, never will anyone crucify you. Jesus set his face. He committed himself. Hell or high water, I'm going to the cross. I am laying down my life for my church. He was willing to give up everything he had on this earth. In fact, he died even with the last of his belongings, his clothing being gambled away by the soldiers that had nailed him to the cross. He had nothing left. But he had gained the very thing he came for. It's you and me. It's his church. He wanted to be with you and me for all of eternity. He already had the joys of heaven. He just wanted to share it and invite you to be with him. You'll never, ever have to give up as much as Jesus gave up to make a church possible for you. But if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, then guaranteed we are going to have to make some sacrifices and some commitments to experience the same joy that Jesus experienced in redeeming those whom he loved. I believe we want that. I believe every person wants to give their life for something significant. And I believe Christ Church is the best group we have to carry that out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you that even though we struggle at times and and I'm in that group to be committed to our church. It's hard, it's painful. I know that that commitment, maybe more than any other commitment I've made, has changed me. There's been times I've wanted to quit. There's been times I wanted to leave the place that you've placed me within your church body. And it would have been so easy to do so. But I believe that this is the place you've called us to be as your children. 
I can see in Jesus that he could have quit at any time. And I can, all I can think of is what would my future have been had he not been committed to me? Had he not been committed to this people we call the church? And I can see the outcome of his commitment. It's incredible. So sometimes, Lord, we just go forward in faith, not knowing why, but knowing who. So, Lord, help us be a church here in our city that shows people something totally different about church than we've ever seen before. I pray these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.